It's time for Making It Personal, a personalized SC podcast. Let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back, everyone, to the Making It Personal podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Fersner. Um, and today I am joined by some very special guests all the way from Riverside Elementary. So I'm going to start off by letting them introduce themselves to you all and tell them um, a little bit about what they teach. Okay, I am Macy Bullard. I teach second grade here at Riverside, and this is my third year here at Riverside. I'm Anna King, and I teach second grade. I'm Megan Doyley. I teach fifth grade here at Riverside. I'm Kayla Whitehead, and I teach fourth grade um, GT math and reading at Riverside, and this is my third year here at Riverside. And my name is Jill Entsminger, and I teach a third grade homeroom, and I also have a gifted and talented reading and math. Awesome. Thank you all for joining me today. So I want to start off um, and just kind of ask you guys a, a beginner level question, which is, when you think of personalized learning, what would you define that as? And I kind of want you all to speak to educators who might be listening and who might think that personalized learning, this is just something that's just like trend and it's going to go away. And, you know, it's just like all the other things that have passed in education. But when you think of personalized learning, what comes to mind? What does that mean to you? I'll go ahead and start. It's Anna. I just feel like it is, it's definitely not a fad. It's exactly what it sounds. It is education that is directed towards what exactly what each student needs to be successful. Personalized learning is reaching kids on all levels, kind of like what Anna said. So sometimes we think about like just making it differentiated or personalized for like kids that are struggling but it's also about reaching those higher level kids that need kind of that extra push or, you know, making it great for all kids at all levels so that they can take on that learning and push them even farther if they need it. Um, in my opinion, I feel like when it comes to fads, it's, it's something that like comes and goes, but with personalized learning, um, I, I can't think as a teacher, I can't imagine doing something that's not focused on the student. So for me, I feel like now when I go back to what people would consider traditional teaching, it doesn't even seem like I'm teaching correctly because it's teaching to that middle group. So um, to me, it's not a fad because you're doing this student-centered learning. So that's just most important. To me, I feel like personalized learning is also just teaching students how to be empowered for themselves in their own learning and teaching them how to advocate for themselves and how to say, hey, I know this, but I don't know this yet. So can you help me here, here, and here so that I can push on and I can be successful? And I've seen that so much with my fifth graders, especially like learning how to just communicate their learning and what they know and how to push to the next level. And it's just been really cool to see how they've been empowered as learners. Um, I was just going to say, obviously, I agree with everything the lady said, um, but I was just going to say that all of us are obviously here because we're very passionate about personalized learning, and it's just really, it's really comes down to just what's best for the child. I mean, it's personalized learning on their level. We're meeting them where they are at to fill their gaps and to, to make sure that they are where they need to be when they leave us. Awesome. I love, I love the passion that I'm hearing right now, and I, 
I connect with that on so many different levels. The next thing I kind of want to ask, just piggybacking off of everything that you all said is the next question we often get um, from educators who are new to personalized learning is what does it look like? What are the practices um, that, you know, let you know that you're really on the track to being student-centered? I heard one of you just talk about how there is a difference between personalizing learning for students and the way that we have traditionally gone about teaching and learning in schools. So what, what does it look like in your context? Could you give some examples, some different practices that you are, you know, acting out in your classroom, especially at this time that we're in now? What does it look like to you? I would first off say that if you came in each of our classrooms, personalized learning would look different in each one of our classrooms because each of us had a different set of kids. And one of the beauties that we have found in our process of going through this is that one of the things our principals first, our principal first told us when we started this was pick one thing, get good at that one thing, and then move to the next step of like the whole like personalized learning matrix. And so for each of us, that was a different thing that we took. But we also have some commonalities between all of us that we're always doing certain things that are the same. But I think for each of us, it would look different. And that's kind of the beauty of it because we get to play off of our skills and our talents, as well as the things that our kids in our class are interested in and playing off of what they're interested, what their goals are, and so on. Um, I know for me, when you, I feel like when people come into my classroom, one of the pieces that I felt like that was most important that I tried to get really good at at first was the culture of the classroom. Um, for me, one of my biggest passions is part of, part of personalized learning is, um, the culture that you have to create for it to be more successful in my opinion. Um, sometimes I feel like people get a stigma in their head that if they're doing just a choice board, or if they're doing just a may do must do list, then they are doing personalized learning. And for me, it's so much more than that. Um, so when you come in my classroom, I feel like you see students who understand that they might be working on something different because they're um, on a different level or whatever it might be. And that's okay because they realize that what I'm doing is, is going to help me be successful later. So for in my classroom, I just feel like we focus a lot on the culture um, and knowing that we're all working up towards the same goal, but we might be in different places, and that's okay. And then piggybacking off what Macy said, I know that Jill and I, our first step in was um, making sure that students were setting goals and then reflecting on those goals. So that was really our takeaway from and what we focused on last year. And then once students were able to um, go, do goal setting on their own and do reflection on their own, I just felt like the conversations got better. The students were more accountable for their learning because they were setting those goals and then coming back to them. I just think it made everything kind of run more smoothly in our classroom. And then obviously we still have classroom community and things like that. But I think all of those pieces together are kind of what makes um, the personalized learning personalized. <laughs> I would even agree with the goal setting. I think for me, that was one of my big first big first steps and the big piece was we've always set goals with kids like that's something we've always done we've done that I remember being in an elementary school and having to set goals but the thing that we really were um just really made sure we did a good job of was having the kids reflect write down how did you meet your goal what maybe you didn't meet your goal what things happened that caused you not to be able to be successful with meeting that goal what are things you're going to do better next time and it really, again, just empowered those students to see that 
my learning is my responsibility. Yes, my teacher is going to provide all of these tools for me and all of these resources to help me be successful. But at the end of the day, it's the effort that I put into it. And seeing kids like realize that and ha- us have those one-on-one conversations and then say, well, it's based off of the, what I do and the effort that I put in and the choices that I make through that work time, then all of a sudden they are able to really see that connection to what causes them to be successful. So to kind of, sum, yeah, to, to kind of sum it up, like when you said, what does personalized learning look like and how Megan started with, it looks different in all our rooms and, and we focus on different things kind of at the heart of it is that it's a partnership between the teacher and the students. Absolutely. So it's not just like you think of a teacher being the sage on the stage and you have to get all your information and all your learning from me. And then the students just do the work, but we're working together whether however that looks different in everybody's classroom or whatever piece they started with is that the kids are working just as hard as the teacher is. If not harder. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank y'all for sharing that. Um, So many good things that can be gleaned from just what you said just now, talking about the culture, how it's more than just let's do this choice board. And now that's personalized learning. It's so much more than that. And I, I really believe that. Um, So I heard you talk about goal setting. I heard you talk about reflection. The next thing I was going to ask you guys, though, was around um, structures. So um, what kind of structures, expectations, things that you have to plan in advance? um, What kind of things do you have to have in place in order for student-centered learning to really take root in your classrooms? Because obviously you can't just walk into your classroom and say, hey, y'all, we're just going to personalize learning today. Get into groups. (laughs) You have to have some systems and some structures in place. So can you guys speak to that a little bit? Um, I feel like if you if you wanted like an overall, very big picture structure, we start with a pretest, and then we have what's called a pathway, and then we have our post-test. And the pathway is like um, the work that the students are doing, whether it's through your choice boards um, or, or in small groups, those sort of things. Um, but that's like the overall pretest do your work, and then post-test. Um, but all throughout that, we have different structures, like the choice boards. I know, like, in for us in fifth grade, the way that we kind of model it, and I think fourth grade is very similar in the way that we kind of start off by, um, we do our pre-test, we decide where kids kind of fall based on um, the standard. We use the learning continuum. We also use um, looking at our standards, that vertical articulation, Um, And then we kind of figure out where students fall within that. Then we give this kids the standard. We tell the kids, hey, this is for fifth grade. This is what the state of South Carolina has said that we need you guys to learn. Let's break this down. Let's get it to where that you understand what the expectations are for what you're going to learn. Then we set goals. We um, then we kind of jump into that pathway section where they're working on their level to move to the next level, whether that's through choice boards, small group instruction, collaboration. Now, granted, with everything going on in the present, we're not doing as much collaboration um, as we would like, but we do that kind of thing. Kids are able to do checkpoints to move from one level to the next. So if they've been working in like um, a third grade level and they say, you know what, Mr. Lee, I think I'm ready to go to the fourth grade level, then they'll do a checkpoint. Um, We kind of have a conversations and make a decision of whether or not they're ready. We move them to the next level and they can keep moving on to get to that fifth grade, if not beyond. 
Um, we also have application projects that students work on during that whole um, one to two week process. By the end, they take their assessment and then we're able to see kind of their growth and they reflect on their growth, they reflect on their goals and whether or not they met them. So, so to piggyback on um, what Megan said, something that's become a priority, I feel like for all of us has been conferencing in the past. Um, you know, we always say mm -hmm. conferencing is so important, but we don't have time. But when we started personalized learning, conferencing became a huge priority because we had to make sure that we had um, time to check their goals and talk about their goals and have those discussions and conversations that Megan was talking about. Um, conferencing was something that we would talk about their grades and talk about their success, what they need to do better to meet their goals next time, what went wrong and why they didn't meet their goals, all those important conversations. And we had to get creative to get our conferencing in, but we, it just, if it's a priority, then you'll make the time. And then I think another thing that we have in place is just as a school, um, overall, our school, I think has a great like community already built within it. The teachers are very supportive of each other. We, we all share things together. We have a, a theme of making our mark this year um, about being mindful and kind to each other. And I think all of that, having that in place as a school helps the kids and helps our classroom communities. So that's like from a, from a very top starting point. And then also our district at the district level, we have um, our core five that is like kind of in the background of all the things that we do in personalized learning. So we're very lucky in the fact that our district and our school have um, structures and framework in place that help us get to where we want to be. Awesome. Awesome. And remind everyone again, what um, district you all are in. Let's plug that, that yeah. Ori County, right? <laughs> so where, where are we from? Ori County. <laughs> awesome. So I, I'm wondering what does grading and accountability look like in your classes? Because oftentimes um, when you talk about shifting from everyone's doing the same thing at the same time to you have students that are moving at their own pace based on what they need. Um, sometimes teachers can, you know, can wonder, you know, how, how do I keep up? How do I make sure that the students are held accountable? And how do I, you know, what does grading look like in this type of system? What do you all think about that? So I think, well, since there's two second grade teachers here, um, second grade and under they do grading a little bit differently than three through five does. Um, so I'll speak for like three through five a little bit. Um, we have traditional grading. So, you know, A through F kind of thing um, with percentages. So we I have to get a little bit creative in the fact that students are working through their pathways, which aren't necessarily the same assignments, um, but students are still receiving traditional grades on their classwork and their, obviously their post-tests. Um, so usually what I do is I have like a weekly grade and then students will receive their weekly grade on whatever they're working through on their pathway. So they're still working, they're all students are working on the same standard, just on different worksheets or videos or projects or, or things like that. So they're also getting a grade for their standard work and for their mastery but it has to be, you know, in the A through F grading system because that's what we use. Mm -hmm. And then one of the things we've done is we've created for three through five rubrics for grading that where, yeah, they might not be doing the exact same choice boards or activities within that choice board, but it might be one piece of that rubric is they have to have had 
They might have had to have three things done from that choice board completed. They had to have had all these other pieces. They had to have a goal. I know one of the things that we implemented at the end of last year was their goals had to be meaty. Like we, you know, kids sometimes want to get lazy and just, you know, uh, my goals make an A on my test. Right. Well, that's great. And that's okay. But we wanted, we really want to dig deep. Like, why do you want to make an A on your test? What are you going to have to do? Like, what are your steps? And we're really trying to make them dig deep and think through and have really conscientious goals. And so that became part of our rubric and what we graded as far and as well as their reflections. We didn't want them to say, yeah, I made an A on my test. No, that's not good enough. Like, let's dig deep. Okay, you made an A on your test. Well, what things did you do to help you become successful? Mm-hmm. And so we really kind of added that into our reflections and other pieces into our rubrics so that we were able to like help them see the importance of all the pieces, not just the standard, what they're working on, seeing that the whole picture is what's helping them grow. And then students are, are able to use um, that pre and post test. Like we have like a little um, spreadsheet that we kind of keep up with so we can see their growth from the pre and the post test. And that links all the way back to the goal setting and being specific with those, like having a SMART goal um, and the accountability piece. And then, uh, as Megan mentioned, there's checkpoints in between. So that's also accountability um, to show that they're ready to, you know, to go up to the the next level or that they're ready to, um, you know, uh, show that application piece. So those are all built in there, too. And even though it might look a little bit different from, you know, group to group or child to child, that still has a a piece for accountability and for grading. And the more that these three through five teachers speak, the more that I'm sitting here thinking about second grade and how we don't have that A through F grading scale. We kind of discussed this a little bit prior, um, but second grade might have a little bit of an advantage because our grading is grading the mastery of the standard. And that's exactly what our goal is through personalized learning is to see, did they master this second grade standard? So I can use the pre-test, the post-test to be able, or specifically the post-test, I can use that to see when I'm grading, did this child master the standard? And then I can assign their grade based on their post-test. So second grade almost is a little bit of an advantage because I don't have to put an A on it or a C on it or an F on it. I can just say, yes, you mastered this standard or no, you did not and you need more support. So, you know, in second grade, it almost makes me feel like we might have a little bit of an upper hand over here. Right. So. That's what that sounds like for sure. That's awesome. But you're also building that confidence at the primary level because you don't have to technically put a stamp on it yet. Right. And then I, when they get to us, even if they didn't do well on it, we have that classroom culture built in where we can have that discussion openly and, and primaries worked on that too. So I think that's a, a great place that you guys have that mastery. And I will also add in the beauty of the pre and post test is even if they like started with like a 20% pre post because they just weren't ready for that material. They had no prior knowledge of that. Well, after they've worked, even if they go up to like a 70th percentile where we might think, oh, that's not like the best score ever, but they've seen, I went from a 20% to a 70%. Mm-hmm. Even though they might not be making these amazing like grades per se, they're seeing extreme growth. And that is what the kids are seeing. And when those kids see that, that is what makes them, again, I keep saying it over and over, it just empowers them to say, 
hey, this is this is paying off. My work is paying off and it's it's working. And can I just piggyback on that for a second? This is a little off topic, but in our classrooms, we have such a diverse group of students at our school. Mm -hmm. Um, And in our classrooms, we have ESOL students. We have students who receive services. And we have this large variety of gifted and talented students all the way down to students who receive services. But we've had plenty, several, several visitors come into our building and come and visit to see our classroom. And I feel like when people come into our classroom, one takeaway they always have is that they can't tell a gifted and talented student from a student who receives services, from an ESOL student, you know, it look, they're all working and learning. And so to me, that kind of makes my teacher heart happy because mm-hmm. they're all being successful in their own pathway. So for students to all be able to be in the same classroom, learning and growing together and not be able to be labeled or identified, they're just students who are working for their needs just is a really big eye opener for me. That kind of leads me to my next question. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Because it kind of reminds me of when I was just starting my personalized learning journey as a teacher and just being able to see students who come from all walks of life be able to experience some level of success. Um, That's very important. But my next question for you all is what specifically drives your passion for this work? And I think you kind of alluded to that in your last answer, but what what experiences have you seen since you've begun your personalized learning journey that really lets you know, hey, I'm on the right track and I cannot go back to just traditionally teaching like I was before or whatnot? What, what's your passion in this work? So I just, my passion is just seeing students being successful, seeing their happiness on their face when they are moving to a next level or when they understand something um, when they receive help from friends, um, just, you know, it's something I'll never go back to traditional learn. This is traditional for me now. This is the, just the way of teaching. So, um, what drives my passion is just the student success. And how much they love coming to school. Like they love it. They get so excited. I'll never forget last year I was picking at them and I was like, okay guys, I'm sorry, but we got to take a pre-test today. And I was like, I know it's terrible because I figured, oh, they're not going to want to take a test. And they were like, yes, no, I'm, we're excited. We get to take our pre-test so we'll know where we are. Aww. And they were so excited to like take this pre-test so they could know where they needed to start. And just to be able to like see this excitement in kids, to see parents excited, to see students who are wanting to come to school and learning, our behavior problems have gone down. Like I can't even think of really any major behavior problems I even had last year anytime we were doing this type of learning because they're all busy. They have things to do. They have places to go. And so it's just really cool to see just the overall excitement and love of learning they have. I just want to agree, agree, agree with both of the said answers with Anna's answer and Megan's answer. Um, Just having your students be excited and just building that culture in your classroom and having them feel success. And then, like she said, being excited to get it to pretest. I mean, it's just, I just couldn't agree more. And to hear students verbalize their learning, I think that was the biggest thing for me, like to hear my fourth graders, like asking me for what they need and advocating for themselves as in education and just they, like they know where they're at and they know what they need to be successful. And for them to be able to ask that and verbalize it and tell other people, you know, what they need 
for what they want or, you know, the choices they want to make or when, if they reflect and tell me that I need to work on something or they didn't like a certain activity that I made and they'd rather do something else. Wow. Having that voice in their, in their own learning, I think that's where, where my passion comes from too, to just hear, hear how successful they can be and to hear how excited they are to be successful. That just drives my teaching. How do you all cultivate that um, that student ownership and that um, student agency that you speak about so much? I've heard y'all mention that a couple times where students are able to advocate for themselves. They're able to communicate their needs because you don't often see that um, in a traditional setting. Most of the time it's very much so sit and get. And you will have students who naturally advocate for themselves, but for the most part, um, it's not always like that. How do you guys actually cultivate that in your classrooms? So I think that goes back, Carrie, to that beginning piece of it's a partnership between the teacher and the student. And I think our classroom culture, like we set that up from the get-go that like we're working in this together. This is like as much your learning as it is me learning. Um, It's that piece of it's okay to make mistakes. Like I'm an adult, but I make mistakes too. So if you think something, you know, could be changed or not even that it's a mistake, but just I could think about it differently. You know, if, if you think that we could learn this in a different way, um, you know, we can work on that together. And then going back to that structure piece, we have structures put in, in place in the classroom for that advocacy to happen. So like we might have like a student feedback area where they can give us notes if they can't tell us right now, you know, they can put a sticky note up there that says, Hey, I I really like this, or we should change this. Um, we have those pieces in like our reflection built in. I know like Miss Whitehead has a, um, uh, Kayla, Miss Whitehead has a part where it's like, how can I, as a teacher change this or do better? And I love that. I was like, Oh, I'm going to add that. So, um, you know, kids feel comfortable with giving us feedback and we also feel comfortable giving it to them. And then we teach them, you can disagree with things in a kind way. You know, it's not telling telling us, um, you know, this is wrong or this is bad. They're saying, hey, did you think about this? And then we in turn can do that back. So I think those are important structures as well, like having that built into the reflection, having that conversation where you can agree to disagree in a um, kind way, um, having a place for students if they can't you know, um, verbally tell you right now because they're doing something, having a place in the room for them to give that feedback. So I think that, and taking it. I think that's a big piece that we kind of, we actually like, they'll tell us stuff they like and don't like, and we do it, we change it. And Mm -hmm. they, then that builds that trust. Mm -hmm. Allowing them to have that voice and know that their voice is heard. And I have two things to say. Um, First of all, just having a big word, a big little buzzword has been transparency and that's really what the classroom is it's very transparent it's not like the teachers um, Amen. <laughs> you know behind the screen or behind the scenes doing all this work it's just like you know Jill has said over and over it's the teacher and the student the learning's transparent the teacher's transparent I'm not up there putting on a show I mean it's just authentic learning taking place um so being transparent but then also to me, it goes back to the conferencing because being in second grade, sometimes our students do struggle a little more with verbalizing and getting their thoughts out. Um, like you said, some kids are naturally good at it, but in second grade, a lot more of them have to be taught that conversation and taught how to have those conversations. So for me, conferencing was the time where in the beginning, 
our conferences were, were more me leading the conversation, but as we got going and students felt more comfortable and they started to understand their learning and they got better at it, it started to be more student-driven because they understood the purpose of the conference, they understood their goals, they understood why we were having this conversation. And so that conferencing time for me was the time, one of the times, where students were able to verbalize those types of things. And we have to applaud that because that pays off those primary mm -hmm. teachers doing that. Yes. Like, yep. can we attest over here? Like, <laughs> like, you know, give, give them like a, a big praise and raise the roof, right? Kiss your big beautiful brain because when they get to us, they're so good at that. And I can sit there and be like, you were probably in Miss Bullard's class, weren't you? You were in Miss King's class. <laughs> Just because they're, or you were in, you know, whatever primary teacher's class that was, was really pushing that, that PL with them because they're so good at it. So. That's awesome. And I think that's the great thing about Riverside, too, is that's where we're all going. So we, the five of us and, you know, our administration team has been really passionate about this. Mm -hmm. And so um, our passion is spreading through Riverside. And, yeah. And that's not even going to matter anymore because right. by the end of this year, we're all going to be like these kids are ready. And that's what we keep talking about. That's right. Having, having those structures in place is. Now we're all going to have that. So there's not even like, okay, you had a little bit of this. Let me give you some of this. They're all going to have it. And it's going to be awesome. That is amazing. And and just listening to you guys just talk about how when you start um, with, with you guys starting in the younger grades and then them transitioning to the higher grades, it's just like they're continuing to be exposed to that personalized student-centered environment. It's just going to, it's going to benefit them in the long run ultimately. So that's awesome. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back for our special segment. Hey, have you signed up for PD this year? If not, it's not too late to get plugged into some awesome resources, community, and built-in supports that the Office of Personalized Learning has to offer this year. Of course, we're switching things up and modeling the model by offering synchronous and asynchronous ways to engage with learning at your own pace. So, get a team together for launch, Join us for the coaching and leading cohort, apply to be an SC Competencies Fellow, and be on the lookout for our Framework Foundation series dropping real soon. For more information, please visit personalizedsc.ed.se.gov. Now let's get back to the show. guys well we are back for our special segment that I like to call making it or breaking it so ladies um, I'm gonna allow you all to choose to share either a make or a break so a make would be something cool that you've seen or done to make personalized learning happen or come to life a break could be a concern a barrier a struggle or something that we as educators might need to break or give a break to give personalized learning a chance for students. So which will it be, make or break? We all sat down and talked about this beforehand and we really wanted to do a break because that's real life. Everything isn't um, rainbows and butterflies and successful. At sure. So we wanted to give a break. Um, so I'll let someone go ahead and chime in and talk about our break. Um. So I think what we kind of, we talked about it together. We said that a break can be stakeholders and like stakeholders can be lots of different things. They could be parents, parents, administration, 
districts, other teachers, you know, if you have to, this is something that we always tell people, you have to see it in action. Um, we, we had the really great opportunity of going and visiting Red Bank and luckily, um, our administration got to go with us. And so when we went and saw it in action, we knew that it was something that we wanted to take back, um, and implement, but we know that that doesn't happen everywhere where, you know, we're very aware of real life. And so um, we're fortunate enough to have an amazing administration who is on board and wants to see it spread as wide as it can go. Um, But, you know, when you're passionate about something, we always also tell other people at other schools who are interested as well, you know, you have to go out there and be the advocate. You have to be the ambassador um, and you have to do it. And if you do it and people come and see it, then they're going to buy into it as well. So it's something that if your passion is really there, then you're going to be able to get other people on board. And sometimes even that stakeholder can can be the students. Mm-hmm. So even if you have like a, a barrier could be, you know, you have a lot of your, your classroom, like they're excited about it, but you may have some friends in the classroom that aren't excited about it. So just having those those barriers of those, those different stakeholders, um, sometimes you might have colleagues that are like, well, what is this? You know, it's something new. I don't understand it. I don't know what it is. I don't, you know, they're not on board with you. And then you could get discouraged because you don't have somebody to kind of, you know, ping pong those ideas off of. You just kind of feel like you're doing it by yourself. I think what our, our break kind of boils down to is that when you try this work, it's hard work and it takes a lot of time and it's not easy. And you're going to get discouraged by these different stakeholders and these different breaks that you run into, no matter what they are. But don't let it dim your passion. Don't let it dim what got you excited about it in the first place. Just keep going. Um, And all of that hard work will pay off in the end. So I think the reason we wanted to do a break is because we have experienced so many breaks, but we've kept going and we've kept pushing through. And now at this point, you can see from this podcast that it's something that we have just such a love and passion for. We want to spread it no matter what. I'm getting full body chills. <laughs> I know I am too. Everything that you guys are saying is just on point. And I think it's, it's what everybody needs to hear. Like you are going to have those, you know, those hiccups, those hangups along the road. It's not going to always be easy and perfect, but I love everything that you said from the transparency aspect of just keeping it honest with students. Um, keeping it honest with yourself. Don't bite off more than you can chew and don't think Rome has to be built in a day. Um, and finding, I think ultimately just the the biggest takeaway that I can find is you guys, you guys have such a powerful community of just, just educators who just come together and you all are from different grade levels. So it's not like you're in your silos saying, well, what can I do for second grade or what can I do for fifth grade? But all of your practices span grade levels. And I would encourage um, anyone listening who may not have as strong as a team as you all, there is a community of educators out there um, on the personalized SC community or on Twitter or um, just there's, there's just so much community out there to support this work. Um, so I, I have thoroughly enjoyed my time with you guys. And before we close out, I wanted to um, invite you all to share your contact information if you're on social media. If there's anyone listening who wants to get in touch with you and um, maybe piggyback some ideas off or, um, or just contact you, how, how can they best reach you? Sure. All right. And I just, I have to give, we have to give one more plug to Riverside Elementary because we just feel like our school is such a family and 
we are all in this together and we work so hard to lift each other up, even when we have those barriers. So Riverside rocks. Yes. (laughs) Shout out to our admin team because without them, we wouldn't even have this team put together and be able to grow and learn from each other. Awesome. So I mean, we are going to, um, uh, hopefully, even with everything going on, we plan to have a inquiry lab. If not na- this year, hopefully soon in the future. That was in the in the works um, towards the end of last year, and then we can all give our personal information out. We're all at OriCountySchools.net, and um, that's the email. So I'm a King K I N G zero zero one. I'm M Doily D O I L E Y. M like Megan. <laughs> um, Kay Whitehead at OriCountySchools.net. And I also have um, social media. It's Farmhouse and Fork if you want to follow me. And I'm Jay Ensminger. Yes, yeah, spell that one. <laughs> uh, the kids go, go, go by Mrs. E, right? That's easier. But uh, J-E-N-T-S-M-I-N-G-E-R at OriCountySchools.net. Um, and so this is Macy Bullard. I'm M Bullard, B-U-L-L-A-R-D. And then I do have um, Instagram and Twitter. My handle is at Mrs. Bullard underscore. Um, you can feel free to also like send me a direct message on social media as well. I know we, I, I think we all follow Twitter, um, your Twitter SE um, personalized department. And I know that has been a um, huge help for us. And uh, I encourage people to, to use that as um, some help. And then of course your podcasts. So that's really something. Yay! Yay! <laughs> I, I did want to just say thank you for making this podcast because I know that all of us have listened to the previous um, podcast and it's really helped us to kind of wrap our minds around some things that we were struggling with. And if anybody else out there is, you know, just starting, I would highly recommend going back and listening to all the podcasts. Oh sure. my gosh. We that's will, so awesome. We will listen to one and then we'll get on a group text like, oh my goodness. They <laughs> said that, that was so real life to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you ladies so much. We'll be right back to close things out. Thanks again for tuning in to today's episode of Making It Personal. Be sure to connect with the Office of Personalized Learning on social media. Tweet us at PersonalizedSC and follow us on Instagram at SCPersonalize. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, share with a friend, and tune in for a brand new episode every month. We'll catch you next time on Making It Personal. See ya!